James chapter 1 if you like. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There are some in the back. And we will show verses on the screen to my right. Genesis chapter 1 is where we'll begin. Today we're beginning a, a two-part mini-series entitled Imago Dei and Our Day. Imago Dei and Our Day. Imago Dei is Latin for image of God. Today we consider the image of God in man as it relates to the issue of abortion. Next week we will consider the image of God in man as it relates to the issue of racism, which is of course timely in light of the celebration of Dr. Martin Luther King's birth, which we rightly have a holiday for tomorrow. Let me pray for the Spirit's help as we look at Genesis 1, and then Jossie will read our sermon passage. Spirit of God, would you grant us your gift of illumination this morning? Would you open the eyes of our hearts? Would you maybe resensitize our consciences? Would you help us to love what you love? And yes, grieve over what you grieve. We need you, Spirit of God. Help us now, we ask you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. This morning I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, and James chapter 1, verses 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the, heaven, of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is God's word, friends. So today we recognize what's called Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It is an important but sad recognition. For today we remember the anniversary of the Supreme Court's Roe versus Wade decision legalizing abortion in our country. So legal abortion is, of course, the law of the land. It has been since 1973. But biblically speaking, biblically speaking, we believe that law is mistaken, sinful, and grieving to God. I recently read about the Supreme Court's Dred Scott decision. In 1857, Dred Scott was a slave who sued unsuccessfully for his freedom. And Frederick Douglass, the former slave and brilliant orator and writer, responded to the Dred Scott decision saying, quote, the Supreme Court sometimes will declare good evil and evil good. That's what we believe has happened on this issue of abortion. Something that 
is evil has been declared good or at least permissible in our land. And for the Christian, I recognize not everyone here may be a Christian, and if you're not, I'm so glad you're here. You're in the right place. But for the Christian, for the Christian, we must think theologically about that. It's vital that we have our, our theology driving our ethics, that what we believe termin, determines how we should live, what we determine to be right and wrong, not the other way around. What happens in our society is those two get reversed. Ethics drives beliefs. How we want to live, how we want to live begins to determine what we believe in our culture. For a follower of Jesus Christ, that must not be. We are submitted to Jesus as Lord. We surrender our sense of autonomy, our desire to decide what is right and wrong for ourselves. We submit to Jesus as Lord, and we must have what we believe driving what then is right and wrong for us. Our theology must drive our ethics. So this morning, I want to think I want to think first theologically with you. I want to think first, what should we believe about this issue? And then ask, what should we do? That's kind of an outline if you want one. What should we believe? And then what should we do? But before we get there, let me say this. I realize this issue dramatically and drastically affects real people. To state the obvious, it affects the lives of the unborn. But it also affects the lives of those who have either had an abortion or have encouraged one. And in a group this size, I'm sure that includes individuals in those categories. And if that applies to you, if you've had an abortion or encouraged an abortion, we simply want to come alongside and care. We want you to feel our love and feel God's love for you. Care for women who've had an abortion it gets lost in this discussion, it seems to me. And women are traumatized for years, in many cases, by having an abortion. So friends, let us be the church to them as well. Let us be the church to them. If that applies to you, that you would feel our care, our love, our support. We want to serve you in any way we can, connect you with resources that would bring healing and strength, that you would feel, again, God's love, that this would not be a time of condemnation for you. That is not my intention. We come to this issue, all of us, equally in need of a Savior. And I'm going to come back to that at the end of our service. But we come to this issue as people, all of us, equally in need of a Savior. So with that preface, what should we believe here first? How do we think theologically about this issue? Well, here's the truth we must believe. The truth of the sanctity of human life. The truth of the sanctity of human life. By, by sanctity, by sanctity I mean, I mean sacredness. 
The, the sacredness about human life we find from the first chapter of the Bible, what Jossie read to us from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Those are synonyms, basically, image and likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. What does this mean? What's this image mean? Well, to put it perhaps simply, maybe overly simply, it means we are made more like God than anything else and made to represent God before everything else. That would be my summation. We are made more like God than anything else and made to represent God before everything else. In this day, it is said that kings would would set up representations for themselves, a sort of statue or image of themselves in different places, I suppose, to keep the people aware of who they are supposed to give their allegiance to. God seems to be drawing on that contemporary reality for these original readers to remind them, to remind them of how significant they are. Being made in the living God's image and likeness. We are we are the clearest reflections of God himself, set up to reflect God to a watching world. Of all the creatures, think about it, of the vast creatures that God has created, the, the countless, it seems, numbers of creatures God has created, only human beings, only people like you sitting in these chairs are created in the image of God to reflect volitionally, willingly, morally and, and spiritually, his nature and glory. Theologian Herman Bavink, I thought, put this helpfully. He writes the following. He said, the entire world is a revelation of God. The entire cosmos is a revelation of God. We have that quote. The entire world is a revelation of God, a mirror a mirror of his virtues and perfection. So the entire created realm is a mirror of God. But, he says, among all creatures, only man, only mankind is the image of God, the likeness of God, the highest and richest revelation of God. That's what you are. The highest and richest revelation of God and therefore head and crown of the entire creation. You are, we are, the highest, the richest, the clearest mirror of the living God. But, but mirror, not in the sense of just an, a passive reflection. You are a sort of an active mirror, as it were. You actively mirror or image God all the time. When you tell the truth about something, which we should do, you are mirroring the truth-telling God. That's why you should tell the truth. When you pursue justice in some situation, you are mirroring the justice of God Himself. When you are showing love to your family or friend or neighbor, you are mirroring in some way the steadfast love of the living God. You, all the time, every day, are mirroring, as it were, the living God. It's kind of like this. There was a painting 
once painted by the uh, painted of rather the Reverend Paul Gibson. He was one of the principals of Cambridge College in England. When Mr. Gibson retired, an artist was commissioned to paint his portrait, a portrait that would hang with the other principals of Cambridge. When the painting was finally unveiled, Mr. Gibson said something that surprised everyone in attendance. He said, quote, when people in the future look at this painting of himself, when people in the future look at this painting, they will not ask, who is that man? Rather, they will ask, who painted that portrait? In other words, when people behold the quality, the dignity of that painting, they will want to know who painted it, and that's what it should be like for us. When you look around you, you see people reflecting God, made in the image of God. You should realize they are reflecting God's glory like nothing else can, or uniquely at least. And so you say, look, look at who painted that picture. Look at who created that image bearer, and you give glory, friends, to God himself. You see, though we are fallen, we are still made in God's image. That image may be defaced in ways, but it is still present in us. The implications of this are massive. <laughs> We're going to scratch the surface on one today and one next week. The implications are massive because it means that all of us have great value and great worth, regardless of gender, regardless of age, regardless of mental capacity or physical capacity, regardless of race or culture or background. All of us, all humans, have equal value equal dignity, equal worth before God. So friends, this theological truth is one that must drive our ethics. How we live and what we think is right and wrong, including on this issue of abortion. The unborn child is a person made in the very image of our Creator. And that is true from conception. That is true from conception. At the moment of fertilization, a unique human being made in the image of God himself comes into existence. Chromosomes from the mother and chromosomes from the father combine to form a unique genetic combination, a unique DNA combination is right then created at that moment all that is necessary to be defined as human is there from the moment of conception. And then, a mere 18 days after fertilization, a baby's heart begins to beat. I read that 21 days after fertilization, that heart begins to pump its own blood with its own blood type through its own little circulatory system. At 28 days, eyes, ears, and respiratory system begin to form. At only 42 days, brain waves can be recorded, 
and reflexes are present. I read that at seven weeks, at seven weeks, you could see an image of a baby sucking its thumb. Only seven weeks. These are the biological facts. What's even more important, of course, is God's view of the unborn child. And in a psalm, in a psalm highlighting the the omniscience of God, the all-knowingness of God, and the omnipresence of God, that he is everywhere equally present. In this psalm, highlighting the omniscience and omnipresence of God, God's involvement with and care for the unborn is expressed in beautiful poetry, of course, in Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. Notice, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Does, does God care what happens in the womb? Is God involved with what happens in the womb? Oh, yes. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. May, may all of us say that today. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. That's poetic language. Poetic language showing, though, that God is intimately involved in the life of the unborn, intimately caring about the unborn. Friends, my point is simple. The image of God in man means we must recognize and value the dignity and worth of every person, born and unborn. It is such an interesting providence that we have Daniel Ritchie coming tonight. We showed a video last week to give you a little teaser. And Daniel said in that video how his mother had, uh, had had ultrasounds, but the baby, Daniel, appeared to be fine in the ultrasounds. And yet he was born without arms and was not breathing at birth. The doctor delivering Daniel asked his parents in that moment, do you want me to let him go? In other words, do you want me to let him die? What's the implication of that? The implication is a child without arms has no value or less value. Oh, because he's made in God's image, arms or no arms. He has great value and great worth. That's how we must think about the born and the unborn. That's the theology that must drive our ethics. So how should we respond? How does that truth influence us right now? Well, secondly, I believe it calls us to this. A call to care for human life. Given the the sanctity of human life. It's a call to care for human life as, as evidenced in caring for the most vulnerable human lives. This is certainly seen throughout the Bible, but there's one verse in the New Testament that sums it up nicely. James chapter 1, verse 27, which Jossie read. James writes the following, religion, religion that is pure and, and undefiled before God the Father is this. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. By, by religion here, he means basically a genuine relationship with God. So he's saying a, 
a genuine relationship with God, it, it gets seen. It must be visible in ways, including, he says, by visiting orphans and widows. Orphans and widows. Now, he's not providing a a comprehensive list of ways you show a genuine relationship with God. That's not the point. If you just visit orphans and widows, that's all you need to do to show a genuine relationship with God. That's not what God is saying here. Orphans and widows are held up here as a, a test case. An important window into the heart for a genuine relationship with God. You see, there was no social safety net for orphans and widows in this day. They had no money-making opportunities to speak of. Typically, they were extremely vulnerable, in many ways helpless, and that's why they're a particular window into the hearts of others. A mark of Israel's obedience was to care for such vulnerable, helpless people, to protect them. James picks up on that and says, certainly this must be true of God's new covenant people in Christ. This kind of care must mark a true relationship with God through Jesus. It means you're, you're caring for those who are helpless and vulnerable and can't pay you back. And so God asks out of your transformed heart, how will you serve them? How will you care for these people? How will you protect them? How will you, Tab, represent the care, compassion, and mercy of God you've received in Christ? Isn't that the question James is teeing up? How will we show the care, compassion, and mercy we've known in Jesus. That's why this is a window into our hearts. It's a call to care for human life, especially the most vulnerable. I think I would contend there's no one more vulnerable in our day, in our country, than the unborn. There are many who need our care. I'm not minimizing that. I'm so glad I'm so glad we helped, care, we helped to care for the immigrant and refugee through our partnership with Bridge of Hope. I'm so glad for that. They are vulnerable in many ways and need care. I'm so glad we care for each other really, really well. You excel at serving and caring for each other with mercy, love, and compassion. Thank you for doing so. Thank you for being that kind of people. And I'm so glad we've had a commitment from the outset of this church to also seek to care for the unborn. I read that the number of abortions in the USA annually has declined, but it is still over 600,000 a year. Just our country, 600,000. On average, in California alone, every business day, 430 babies are aborted. 431, sorry. So Monday's a holiday. So Tuesday, if it's a typical day in California, 431 babies in our state alone will lose their lives. That's every day. 431 
children. God is saying through James, true religion, a true relationship with him through Christ must, must respond to these kinds of issues, such vulnerable people. So what we have done, what we have done, is aligned ourselves with a yeah, constructive and compassionate response. I think both are very important. A constructive and compassionate response through our partnership with CAPS, which is College Area Pregnancy Services. It is a constructive, compassionate ministry to those in crisis pregnancy. I was at the home of Van and Susan Shalen with my wife a few months ago or so, maybe it was six months ago, and the executive director of CAPS was there giving a presentation. And I thought it was so helpful and so compelling that though we have supported them, and many of you have served at CAPS, thank you for doing so. Despite that being the case, I wanted to hear directly from the executive director herself. So would you welcome with me, please, Julie Dowler, as she comes to share with us this morning. Julie, it is an honor and has been an honor to partner with your organization, but thank you for being here to tell us more about it. Thank you, Pastor Tab. What a joy and honor to be here this morning. We love your church. And my husband and I were so excited to be able to be here just to say thank you. Thank you for your partnership. Thank you for everything you're doing for the unborn and many other things that you're doing. I love how you love life. I love how you're living your name, Grace Church. So thank you so much for that. And um, about 20 years ago, let me give you a little background on me. 20 years ago, I got a letter in the mail from Concerned Women for America. And in that letter, it said that they were planning to open a pregnancy center to address this issue of helping women and men that are in crisis pregnancy. And I thought to myself, I'd never even heard of pregnancy centers before that, but I thought to myself, now that's how you deal with this issue. That's how you deal with the issue. And for me, for the past 20 years, that's uh, been a, a part of my devotion of my whole entire life. It's really been my life. And um, what we do at CAPS, many of you already know, we, um, we help the women. We sit down with them. We talk things through with them. And we are really Jesus to them. We are not just his hands and feet, but we're also his listening ear, his heart to them. And uh, many of them hear about Jesus while they're there, but what they, even if they're closed completely, what they really get when they, where, when they are there is the love of Jesus. They will feel that love. And we, um, we help them through their issues. And the reason, you know, so many women are really not wanting to have an abortion. We've heard that so many times. I don't want to have an abortion. But nobody, nobody wants to have one. But the uh, issues and the pressures in their life are so big and so overwhelming that they can't see any other way. In, in a word, they have no other choice. That's what they believe. They have no other choice. No choice is no choice at all. Um, there are other options, and they just need to understand them and know about them. Ne they need to see how they could possibly get through a pregnancy. And um, we always give them the option of adoption. We always present that to them. And we always speak about parenting as well and the different ways 
that they can possibly meet all those pressures. We help them walk through if they need to tell their parents. Um, we had a, a young couple, I'll give you an example, a young couple come in um, to see us and it began with the woman. She came in the middle of the day. We didn't have a sonographer available for her. And so we, we asked her if she could come back. She had already scheduled an abortion for the next day, but was saying, I don't wanna have an abortion, but I have no other choice. And she, um, she did come back, we had her come back in the evening because she had the abortion appointment the next day. Came back in the evening, we called up a sonographer, got her in, she brought her boyfriend with her, and they, and forgive me if you've heard the story before, because I have told it before if you've um, been with us at some of our parties or so, but um, they, the two came into the, the ultrasound room with the nurse, the nurse started showing them the ultrasound. They saw a little baby on the screen, both of their eyes, their mouths dropped, eyes popped out, and they just said, wow, that is a life, that is a baby, moving around, arms and legs, and just active as all can be. And that little heart just beating. And then the sonographer said, and here's the other one. Twins, <laughs> two little babies in there. And the first thing the man said is, twins run in my family. So now this is no longer an intrusion. It was no longer a mistake. This is family. And that's what the ultrasound does. How many of you have seen an ultrasound before? Many, many. In fact, we carry them around nowadays like baby pictures in our, because they are baby pictures in our wallets, um, even grandbaby pictures. But yeah, it, that is family, and that's that, that tool, the ultrasound, that's why we're a medical clinic. That tool connects the mom to the baby, the family to the baby, the grandparent, the father. It, they become family, no longer an intrusion that, they, that can't be dealt with. And that's why 95% of, of the women do carry their babies to term when they come to CAPS. We, um, every one of our appointments, there's the availability of ultrasound. Um, almost always, and, and uh, if she's far enough along, she needs to be six weeks to have an ultrasound. But um, so that's that's the amazing things that that God does through Caps and through your help and your support. And over these last um, 20 years since we began, 18 years ago we opened. Um, we've opened three clinics now, and we have so we have one here in the college area. We're now Caps Pregnancy Clinics because there's three of us. College area, Pacific Beach, and the downtown area. Three uh, really wonderful, busy clinics. And so because we're continuing to grow and we're planning to open another one in 2020, we always need help. And so we're thankful for your support. Um, and if you are, have, are someone who really feels like you are called to help women and men too in this situation, we would love to, to know that. And I have a sign-up sheet in the back. I have volunteer packets. We also, um, I can, we would love to have you get connected through our newsletter and that sort of thing. But before I leave the, the stage, I want to show you, um, I can tell you stories all day long because we have lots of them, but it's really best heard from one of our patients. And so we brought a video.
We are still seeing Pia at, uh, um, at CAPS. She did all the parenting classes with us, and we get to keep contact with her. And as many of the girls that we'll keep contact with, we love to kind of follow up on them and see how they're doing. She's doing great. So, Julie, um, 